the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke, chapter 10. Once the disciples understood that they needed to pray first, it was time to get going. And so in verse 3, he says, now go your ways. You got to get going. That's literally what it means is you got to get going. And he says, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. So carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Again, this is interesting. He says, you got to get going. So the idea of don't carry any a purse or which would be like money bag or nor scrip, that would be like, you know, your travel bag, nor shoes, that would be an extra pair of shoes. And then he says, salute no man by the way. This wasn't a prohibition against saying hi to anybody or against taking money, you know, or, or wearing the shoes that were on your feet. The idea is he doesn't want them going back home to prepare for a long journey. If we were going to go on a mission trip, we would usually prepare by making sure we had enough clothing and making sure we, we had our suitcase all fulfilled so we could get through the laborious conditions for the next two weeks without, without hot water. We might bring a, a little portable water heater in our suitcase or something like that. The idea here is they needed to get going. No going home to say goodbye or to set the house in order. It was go time. When you go like that, that requires a little bit of faith, doesn't it? I mean, you're gonna have to trust the Lord to take care of you. You're not gonna be able to rely upon your great skill at packing or your great skill at planning. You just gotta go. And that's why Jesus says, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. It was interesting. I was watching. I thought, what is it like when a wolf attacks, you know, a herd? And I was watching a video, and it almost sound, looks playful. Like when you see a wolf attack the herd, it looks like the dog's, you know, it looks like a dog playing with a, another animal out there. And they, they kind of jump up and down, and they, they run around the sheep and everything, almost like a sheepdog would. Almost like a sheepdog would. I've seen that because I was in Israel, and I saw that. But that playfulness is designed to frighten the sheep because the sheep knows they're not there to play. The sheep knows they're not just a sheep dog. They know it's a wolf. And the idea is what the wolves are waiting for. Two or three of them will do this and they'll just run around and bark and yip and, you know, it looks like they're playing. But they know that it, what will happen is one will become scared and it will bolt. And I watch this, I'm just watching, all of a sudden one bolts and leaves the herd, leaves the safety of the numbers of the herd, and immediately all the wolves peel off and they go and they kill it. And that's interesting because Jesus basically is saying, you know, I'm sending you out not just as sheep, but lambs, the young of the sheep, the most vulnerable. I'm sending you off to leave the herd to enter wolf country is what he's saying. Very vulnerable and with very little resources to secure your own well-being. And that brings us to principle number four, faithfulness. I know it sounds simple, but it requires faith. <laughs> faithfulness requires faith. God's, he's never going to call us to something where he charts everything out for you and everything looks perfect and, and it's all going to go that way. 
he just never does that. You know, there are times I'm that type of person. I like to plan everything out ahead of time. You know, I'm the type of person, you know, there was an episode on some sitcom where they went on family vacation and there was like the, the dad had the clipboard of fun. And, and the, the clipboard of fun was anything but fun because everything had to be done a certain way. And so they were for having a good time. And he's like, okay, now we got to leave and go do this to make sure that we have fun. And everybody's going, we're having fun. We don't want to go do that. You know, but they had to follow the clipboard of fun. I'm that type of person. You know, I want to make sure that we, we follow the plan and we do everything as it's supposed to. God has a clipboard of fun, but he's not letting you see it. So if you're going to be faithful in the task that God sets you on, it requires faith. You're going to have to trust him. There's going to be times when God puts you in a situation you're not prepared for in the sense of that you thought about it ahead of time and you thought all the details out and you were just, you knew exactly how it was going to go. You are going to find yourself in places where you go, wow, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he's going to go, it's okay. I do know what to do. Trust me. I've already got this covered because even though you haven't planned it out, I have. So faithfulness requires faith. That's number four. Now, next we go down to verse five. That's how they're to go. Now, what are they to do when they get there? Verse five, and into whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Peace is that word shalom, that that greeting, that Jewish greeting. When we we say hi, we really don't think a whole lot about it and say, hey, how you doing? It's funny because sometimes you see people get annoyed. I take things at face value. I'm just how I am. So when someone says, hey, how you doing? I will say, oh, I'm not so good if I'm having a not so good week. I'm not going to say, oh, great, if I'm not great. And you can see sometimes that people are going, oh, I wish I didn't say and ask him how he was doing. I just, I was just trying to say, hi, man, just trying to be polite. You know, I didn't want to have a conversation. But shalom never, that never was that way in that culture. Shalom was a gift you pronounced upon a person. It means to give someone welfare, to give someone comfort from God. So it wasn't necessarily something you said. It was something to be received. And so when you would go into these these two by two, they would go into the town village and and they would say, hey, peace be to this house. You know, I want to bless you. The question was only whether they were welcomed to bring their peace there or they were not welcomed. So if they welcome you, he says this, if the son of peace be there, uh, son of peace is a Hebrew idiom that just means, you know, someone who wants God to work in their lives. The, the opposite of that is the son of Belial, the son of Satan, you know, who doesn't care what God thinks. So, so if they are interested in, in God working in their lives, and then he says, then your peace, your blessing, you know, shall rest upon that home. And if not, well, then your blessing will return back to you. You know, your blessing will give rest and comfort and a special blessing will come upon that family. But if they refuse to welcome the Lord into their lives, well, then they'll miss out on that special blessing from the Lord, but you'll be able to give it to others. It will return back to you. So if they welcome you, he says, in that same house remain and make sure you eat and drink such things as they give to you. Don't complain about dinner for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Do not go from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick that are inside that that city and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near unto you. Now, there's quite a few principles here of ministry. The first one is, and this is number five, if you're taking notes, is be a blessing, not a burden, okay? Be a blessing, not a burden. Sometimes those who serve the Lord are a headache to those they're serving, and that should never be the case. For example, we're going to do this cleanup. We're going to, and, and I encourage you to participate in that. 
we decided that they called us up and they said, hey, you've helped out in the past. We were wondering if we could use your church as a, like a, a place of staging our operations and feed our people here and stuff. And we're like, you bet. We'd love to do that. That'd be awesome. And, uh, and so, you know, they're coming. And, and in two weeks, the city commissioner is going to be here. Going to be an interesting thing. It's going to be a big deal. So the last thing we want to do is be a headache. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to them. So, you know, as we participate in this, don't look around and go, you know, this could be done more efficiently. Someone else was commissioner. We could probably do this more efficiently. Maybe so, but you're not. So let's be a blessing. Let's not be a headache to somebody. Let's just serve. Let's just come alongside. That's what he tells them. You go into a home, eat whatever they put in front of you. Don't go from house to house because you think, man, this bed's hard. You know, I heard that so-and-so's got a nicer bed. And they even told me, say, hey, we've got a bigger room for you, whatever. And think, you know, hey, guys, thanks for letting me stay here, but I'm going over there, you know. No, just eat your food and be a blessing to the home that invites you in. Be a blessing, not a burden. It's interesting, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were exactly opposite of that. In Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4, Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. They, they have his authority. They're in charge. They're your leaders. Therefore, everything whatsoever they bid you to observe, that you need to observe and do. Now, that's interesting because the Lord says, because he's going to lambaste them in a second, you've got bad leaders, but you still need to follow the law. That's what he says. You got bad leaders, but you still need to follow the law. But then he says this, but do not after their works, don't follow their example. For what they say, for they say and they do not. They say one thing, but do something different. And here it is. For they bind heavy burdens that are grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves wouldn't move them with one of their fingers. Don't be that. You know, if you ever find a leader who's being that here, I need to know, because that's not our job. I don't ever want to lay heavy trips on people. I don't want to ever be a burden to people. I'm here to serve. I don't want people going, oh, here comes Pastor Will. Be careful, careful what you do, careful what you say, or careful how you act. Make sure you put out the red carpet, you know, who's got the flowers, you know. I don't, I don't want any of that, you know. I don't want to be a burden. You know, we're here to, we're here to serve you guys. And, and any pastor that is a pain in the neck, don't have him be your pastor, now, next, Jesus mentions here in, in Luke, he says, not only they're not to be, there be, be a blessing, not a burden, but he tells them to help those who are hurting. He says, I want you to heal the sick that are inside that city, inside that village. The word there, heal, it doesn't just mean to cure, it means also to take care of. And it's imperative, it's a command. You, need, you must do this. And so we find, you know, principle number six in ministry is, ministry is about helping those who are hurting, Helping those who are hurting. You know, if all we do is preach, then we don't show the compassion and care of Christ. If all we do is help people, then we do them injustice by leaving them without any real life change. But if all we do is preach, we don't show the compassion and the care of Christ. So ministry is about helping those who are hurting. And, and as we go out to help those who are hurting, number seven, we need to expect God to empower us. You know, it's funny, Jesus says to him, you must heal the sick that are in that city. You know, he says it as if, you know, as like he would tell us to drive to the store and go get some milk. Hey, can you go to the store and get some milk? I mean, he says it like it's just a simple thing that's going to happen. But see, Jesus knew his father would empower, empower his disciples to do these supernatural things. And we should expect God to do the same for us. We need to expect that God will empower us for the task he sends us out on. If God tells you, he says, hey, I want you to share with that person in line at the grocery store, 
Don't think you're, what do I say? Who knows? I, I, you think anybody knows what they're going to say? No one knows what they're going to say in that moment. That there is no school that prepares you to the point where, you know, all of a sudden when God puts it on your heart to go share the gospel with somebody and you go, I know exactly how I'm going to take care of this. I'm really good at this. Here I go to evangelize creation. No one responds to the voice of the Lord like that. No matter how many times I've done it. No matter how many times. I always get that little nervous feeling going, oh, God wants me to share with that person. What do I say? And then I have to remind myself what Jesus told his own disciples. Take no anxious thought for what you will say. For in that moment, your father will tell you what to say. And so you just have to go out and say it. I think Donna's been, and Bev have been going over evangelism with the ladies in the Bible study. And I think Donna shares a story about, if I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. But I think she shares a story about the first time someone had her do that and share her faith. And I think she actually went and told him and said, I'm here to share my faith. Can I practice on you? That's great. Like, like the worst thing that, I mean, if the worst thing you could do, which is the best thing, is just to, to go up to him and say, hey, the Lord told me to talk to you about the fact that I'm a Christian. Can I talk to you about that? What's the worst thing that can happen? No. <laughs> then do what they did. Just shake the dust off your feet and walk away. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. We need to expect God to empower us. We, we should not cower, you know, and think to us, oh, you know, I don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. God knows our frame that we're simply dust. Sometimes we're not there necessarily to be the one to lead them to Christ. We might be the one to get them to start thinking about it for the very first time. We might be the one to water a seed that someone else planted maybe a couple years ago or maybe a couple days ago. It's funny, I, I pray try to pray every day and not every day, but I pray, Lord, lead me to somebody who I can either share my faith with or lead me to somebody who I can invite to church. And I was going to get ice cream one day and, and I prayed that that morning. I went to the, out of the blue, uh, the person served me at the counter goes, hey, uh, how was your day? And I said, well, you know, I said it was a long day. And she goes, oh, what do you do? And I thought, no one ever asked me that question. I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. She goes, oh, cool, my brother's a pastor of a church. And I said, awesome, where at? She, you know, she told me where it was. I said, is that where you go to church? She goes, no, you know, I'm working here a lot on Sundays, so I don't really go to church. And I said, well, do you know the Lord? She goes, yeah. I said, well, you need to go to church. I said, we have a, a, you know, a midweek you know, young adult study that you could go. She was a younger gal and said, you could go to on Thursday night. You know, I said, I want to encourage you to come. Where is it at? Calvary Chapel, Orlando. Got my ice cream. God bless you. Went out to my car. <laughs> Did not plan that at all. And, and to be honest, I was a little caught off guard at first. No matter how many times I, you know, I've shared my faith, every time it's just a matter of being obedient to the Lord's voice, trusting that he will empower me, expecting he'll empower me. We also, Jesus says here, not only do you heal the sick, but say to them, the kingdom of God has come near unto you. Which brings us to point number eight. We need to give the good news. We need to give them the good news. You know, he says, you need to say it. You know, you can't just act like a Christian. You need to say it. God, he says, the kingdom of heaven, God, is near to you right now. It's come near to you. God's kingdom is available to you right now if you'll just turn to him. We've healed your illnesses, but now it's time for you to let God heal your heart. You know, Jesus loved taking away people's suffering, their temporal pain, but he was only satisfied seeing them pass from death to life. And, and we need to remember that when we are out there helping people or having compassion on somebody, you got to give them the good news. You got to tell them that there's a God out there who loves them and who died for them and can forgive all their sins if they'll turn to him. 
that it's right there in front of them. All they have to do is give their life to him. You gotta give him the good news. Of course, someone going from darkness to light, from death to life, it requires them to receive the gospel, which isn't a guarantee. And so in verse 10, now Jesus tells them what to do if they don't welcome you. He says, but into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of that same, the the main area of that main city, and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaves on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near unto you. Now, we talked about this when the 12 went out, that wiping the dust off your feet or shaking it out of your clothes was something Jews did when they passed through a Gentile city, when they passed through a pagan city. What they're basically saying is, is that, you know, None of you are are believers. None of you, you're all unclean and we don't want to take any of that with us. And so by the disciples doing this in the city, what they're telling the people in that city is you're no better than a dirty Gentile. You're no better than an unbelieving pagan. You are just as lost as they are. You are unrepentant. You are separated from God. Don't think because you're Jewish that you're fine with God. He says, but be sure of this. Even though that's true, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come close to you. He says, you need to tell them that they need to repent. We covered that last time. But you also need to let them know that God's love is right there, that God's love is right there for you, that he has brought himself close, that if you're lost, it's not God's fault. You know, we talked about the necessity to leave an unbeliever with repentance when the 12 were sent out. But that's not all we leave them with. We need to remind them that when someone rejects the gospel, that God loved them enough to bring salvation close, that he loved them enough to send somebody to tell them that he doesn't want them to perish, which brings us to ministry principle number nine. We need to leave them with love. Don't get in an argument with them where you're getting all visceral and agitated and arguing and nasty with them. Don't ever do that. Jesus never did that. Even when Jesus lambasted the Pharisees and the scribes in that passage I read earlier from Matthew, it goes on and says more about them. That was his last ditch effort to try to reach hard-hearted men. And when we see him finished with it, he's not angry and spitting and steaming. We see him up on the hill on the Mount of Olives and he is weeping over the city. He said it because he loved them so desperately that it was his last shot. It was the the heave from half court hoping that maybe this would jolt them, that maybe this would get their attention. And it was done with all the love a human being could muster. All the emotion of love was there. There was no vitriol. There was no nastiness. There was no arguing. It was just love calling sin what sin was in all of its ugliness. We need to leave them with love. Lest the disciples think leaving people with love means letting unrepentant people off the hook, Jesus explains that these people will regret their rejection of of Christ. Look at verse 12. He says, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city, the city you go to that rejects your message. The day of judgment is what Jesus is referring to here. It's interesting is no city in history would be considered more wicked than Sodom in Jesus' day. No, when you say Sodom, you think, yeah, that's Sin City, man. Not, not Vegas. That's, that's Sin City right there. What's interesting is most saw Sodom's judgment as a, God's judgment of Sodom as a past thing. The Lord clearly states here that there's a day coming when Sodom will stand before the Lord. They will be judged again. Now, the Bible says that there comes a day when every person will stand before God to be judged. If you're in Christ, you'll be welcomed into his kingdom. If you're not, you'll be lost forever. 
don't let anyone ever tell you that hell isn't a real place. There is no eternal hell. Hell is just the bad things that happen to you here because you don't trust God. Rob Bell teaches that, and you need to stay away from that dude, okay? He is a false teacher. He is no good. I know he names the name of Christ, but he does not follow Christ, all right? He is a false teacher. And you need to stay away from that teaching, you know, unless you're trying to figure out what it is so you can know what to, what to, you know, how to converse. But he teaches, oh, hell is not a real place. Hell is the difficult things we bring upon ourselves because we don't trust God. If that's true, then why did Jesus say what he said here? The people of Sodom experienced about as much bad things in this life as a person can. God rained fire from heaven upon them. Can it get any worse than that? They died from that. But Jesus says they're going to experience a future judgment too. Hell is real and it is eternal. Now, why will it be an easier sentence for the people of Sodom to bear than those who reject the 70 disciples? Well, Jesus explains why as he pronounces judgment on some other places that already rejected him. He says, woe unto you, disaster, horrifying things are coming for you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works, the supernatural things I did had been done in the city of Tyre and Sidon, he says, which had been done in you, they would have a long time ago repented. They would have been sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Those are Middle Eastern symbols of repentance. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, his own hometown, his own town that he lived in, he says, which are exalted to heaven, his base of operations. You think you're so big, you're the main city there on the Sea of Galilee? He goes, well, you're going to be thrust down to hell. It's interesting. These three cities, they were in North Galilee where Jesus did the most of his ministry and all three of them rejected him. You know, he compares them to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon was the home of Jezebel. It was the center of Baal worship in the Middle East during the old days of Israel. When you thought of evil, you thought of Sodom. But when you thought of idolatry, you thought of Tyre and Sidon. And so even though Bethsaida and Chorazin, they didn't make someone think of these evil cities like Sodom and, 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 and you know, Tyre and Sidon, they're going to get a greater judgment because they had a greater access to truth. Being Jewish cities, they had the word of God. They had a rich history of true worship. And they had God Almighty in the flesh, Jesus himself, doing supernatural miracles before their eyes. Luke 12, 48 states, to whom much is given, much is required. And so this is a direct rebuke to those who know the truth, but reject it. And sadly, one of the places that will receive the heaviest judgment is the place Jesus spent the most time, Capernaum. You know what's interesting? Nazareth one of the most insignificant villages in Jesus' day. You can still go and see it in Israel. You can still go there. But no one's living in Capernaum anymore. Doesn't exist. I mean, they've dug up the old one, but it doesn't exist. No one's living in Bethsaida. No one's living in Chorazin. Why? Because God judged them. All three cities were destroyed in a fourth century earthquake. Capernaum was rebuilt, but then a massive Galilean earthquake of 749 AD destroyed it again. And they believed it was cursed, so they never rebuilt it. Just one example of fulfilled Bible prophecy. Jesus, in verse 16, he reminds them why this is true. It's because he that hears you is listening to me. Who listens to you is listening to me. And he that despises you, he's despising me. And so he that despises me, despises him, my Father, God Almighty, despises him that sent me. Which is, brings us to principle number 10, that you and I need to remember our role. You know, fear of rejection often deters us from sharing our faith. 
but we have to remember we're just the messenger, guys, right? We're just the messenger. It's not personal, even if they decide to make it personal. We have been sent on a mission. This is not our personal goal or our personal thing or our personal business. We have been sent on a mission by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to tell the world, to make disciples of all creation. And so our loyalty must be to him above ourselves. Now, might that cost us something? Yes, but we'll have been faithful, won't we? We'll have been faithful. You know, the Lord, he wants to use us He's given us a clear task, a clear mission. These are principles that we can apply to our lives, and maybe all of them didn't apply to you, but I hope at least one of them is something that you can take home and you can say, okay, Lord, you know, I have a mission in front of me, and I I need to fulfill it, and so you spoke this to my heart today, and I want to live that out. You know, let's be doers of the word, not hearers only. Amen? And if if you haven't joined the mission yet, if you don't know the Lord today, and you haven't joined the mission, today is the day. You know, today is the day to sign up. The Lord's recruiting you. He loves you. He wants you on his team. And so you say, how do I do that? Well, it's really simple. You repent. What does that mean? It means you changed your mind. You thought that you were fine on your own, didn't need the Lord, didn't need a savior. You're a good person. And you repent. You say, Lord, I know I'm not a good person, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And so I receive you as my savior. And I want to follow you with my life. I want to love you with everything in me. Take me, I'm yours. And the Bible says when you do that, the Bible, he says he'll forgive all your sins, he'll make you his child, and you're part of the team with equal status that we all have. You don't gotta work your way up the ranks. God will wanna use you starting now. So if you don't know him today, I wanna encourage you. Give your life to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful glimpse that Luke gives to us, an insider's view of what you taught about ministry. And Lord, we pray that, you know, there's so many principles here that we learned today. I'm sure can't, you know, think of them all right now, but I pray that you would help us to live them out, that we would walk in these things so that our lives would reflect you, that our, as we go on our mission, that as we do it, it would look like you and reflect your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.